All right, everybody, welcome back. Dr. Joe Galati, this is Your Health First. We're here every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. And back on the program tonight, an old friend, Dr. Sam Pappas, coming in from Northern Virginia. His website is pappashealth.com. Dr. Pappas, we've always enjoyed having you on talking about COVID. It seems like so much has passed in the last year or so. So first, welcome back. And number two, let's hear your 30,000 take on where we're at with COVID and what everybody should be thinking about. Joe, great to be on with you again. Uh, I hope you're doing well there in Texas. Uh, you know, I, I remain very respectful of, of COVID. It, it needs our attention, our respect, but right. not our fear. I think people should realize that it's definitely much more manageable, that they have control uh, in their ability to have some protection and prevention, and then more importantly, to do things to help them treat it. Um, so I think it, it's worthy of a nuanced, personalized approach, and we can have our family and our personal uh, philosophy be engaged in it and not depend on the outside healthcare system alone. Right. Right. No, I, I would think, as we've said before, and so much of your practice is very engaging with the patient, getting feedback and, ed- and educating the patient to be a better consumer. This really is no difference. But one, one question, and there is still so much emotion when you talk about COVID-19. You have the individuals or the families that still will not get on a plane, uh, still will not go to the grocery store without two N95 masks on. And then you have others that have a very carefree attitude, and they're just winging it. And, and, and I don't want to say they don't care, but it's almost as if they are well past the concern. First of all, what do you see in uh, that part of the country, in, in the northern Virginia area, And number two, what advice do you have for those people I just explained, and what do you tell your own patients? That's a great question. I tell folks, you know, I'm a uh, COVID-centrist doctor who uh, will help people wherever they are on their spectrum. And I find that a lot of folks are really influenced by other perspectives, and it's almost like uh, fear is catchy, you know. Yes. People coming into me recently and saying, well, I heard their variant has spread recently, so I'm very worried, even though I don't know anybody who's got the infection. Uh, so I try to tell them, listen, you know, we want to be personalized. Uh, the reality is that all viruses are challenging if they're symptomatic, right? A lot of folks are worried and they have no symptoms at all. I tell them, you know, age isn't the only determinant on risk factors. I have right. some 65, 70-year-olds who follow the Dr. Galati approach and are super healthy and some 30 year old obese men who are diabetic that I worry about. But I do think that uh, for many people who are very educated and follow a lot of technology and social media, they tend to be more influenced, I think, uh, and not necessarily listen to their own intuition. Right. Now, one, one area that is falling into a little bit of a gray zone is vaccination. So I, I believe the latest from most health authorities, CDC, is number one, if you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated. Number two, get the booster. 
So we are seeing, and, and the sentiment is, hey, I got all of my vaccines and boosters and I still came down with COVID or they know a coworker. So where do you think we're at now with the current vaccines that we have, sort of version 1.0 in a sense, and what is in the future? Should we think about waiting for the next iteration of a vaccine, take what we have? What do you think? Well, you know, like all of us, I was hoping, you know, and praying that the COVID vaccines were going to be a shield. But I had some doubts and thought, you know, perhaps they're only going to be a safety net uh, from really bad outcomes, which is important. Uh, but it sometimes comes with the cost because a lot of folks were under the impression that they were protected right, and then weren't right. doing other things. On the other hand, you know, we do a lot of laboratory studies, you know, 30 vials and measuring markers of inflammation and markers of blood being sticky. We were doing this in the BC era before COVID, continue during COVID. And I've seen, you know, a fair amount of patients, you know, were vaccinated, have a lot of antibodies, you know, have prior infection, uh, and may not need to get boosted, right, for example. You know, so I think, you know, I try to personalize it with a person's risk and seeing do they need to be vaccinated again. Uh, if they have antibodies, you know, I'm seeing at least half of our patients already have antibodies before. So there's right. a discussion, are you protected? And then I am seeing a fair amount of people having markers of D-dimer elevated, so if their blood is sticky, do they need to get vaccinated at this moment? You know, I'm, I'm frustrated because I think the current vaccines are just from the original variant. So I'm just not sure how protective they are, because in my experience, the majority of our patients who are getting sick are those who are already vaccinated and boosted. Although, thankfully, most of them are doing well. So I'm hopeful that, you know, the fall will bring, you know, a different type a vaccine, maybe better attention to the variants. So I'm not really sure the current form of the vaccine is, is optimal for most people. Right, right. Now, you, you know, common, I don't want to say common sense, but what we have always been taught is that you get a viral infection, the body makes the antibodies to eradicate and or protect you. But for some reason, this the scientific discussion around natural immunity has been somewhat muted, and I find that a little frustrating. What's your take on the natural immunity, seeing what your antibodies are, and that may be enough to carry you through the next sort of, you know, trip around the track uh, until we get better therapies and or vaccines? What are your thoughts? I think you're spot on, Joe. You know, the the challenge I've found is that most of us have just allowed the healthcare system to dictate things that should be really common that we knew beforehand, right. you know, as far as lifestyle being protective, uh, and then common uh, uh, sense about immunity, right? Having had exposures, I've had many, many patients who are like, I think I got, I think I got it, and I'll measure their antibodies or maybe their T cells. But now, you know, these labs can measure these antibodies, and I'm finding out they already had it. I said, look, I said, I think you're very protective. And so I think, you know, having a, a long discussion with the patient is really key. I think, unfortunately, many people are spending, you know, five, ten minutes with their doctor right, trying to right. cover all these rather than, you know, a, a, an in-depth discussion 
on a personalized approach and taking advantage of their history, uh, their antibodies, perhaps. And then also looking at some other metrics. You know, the data early on said people with the highest levels of vitamin D were very protected. I still think that's the case. You know, I think about half to three quarters of our population that I see are low in vitamin D. Sure. I'm seeing a lot of folks low in zinc and vitamin A. So these are things that we measure that you can ask for. And, you know, you can actually replete them through diet and supplementation. And I think there's some pretty good data that they're at least synergistic and helpful to other modalities. Yeah. And actually, that that was the next question because um, in conversations I've, I've, I've had with you, when I got COVID, I reached out to you right away and I said, okay, uh, not too sick. I feel pretty crappy right now. What is your recommendation? And you sent me a list of various nutritional um, items to take. And that's been, you know, many months. Has has your formulation, has your recipe been um, sort of tuned up with what you've learned? Because I, I do think that while whether it's the monoclonals, the antivirals that are coming online, we, we do have an opportunity to intervene with lesser toxic, lesser expensive therapies. So what's, what's your current state of the situation now? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's evolving, uh, and more and more experience and anecdotal information with patients has shown that they are very helpful, and sometimes just alone, and people are otherwise pretty, uh, pretty good shape. But we knew from the beginning, like I said, vitamin D was critical. But we know other antivirals uh, are things like vitamin C and zinc, vitamin A. I've been very impressed with the amino acid NAC, NAC, which had a track record in hospitals being used for not only liver problems, but also patients who had cystic fibrosis and other lung problems being of effect. And there's some nice research that that can be very good for as an antiviral. And then I think, you know, the mainstays of our, our tribes, Mediterranean diet, there's a lot of research, you know, the higher amounts of omega-3s yes. are very protective as well and antioxidant status. So I, and then there's some thoughts that perhaps melatonin is very effective. And is that why maybe the, the, the youth who have higher levels of melatonin do better than the adults who have less melatonin. So I think the, the nutraceutical research is very robust, and there's a lot of opportunities for us to have them in our dispensary, so to speak. Right. And then from there, I always throw on the underappreciated prevention of, of nasal irrigation. It, it get, you know, explain that more, because I, uh, I did take your recommendation and and do that, and I still find that, uh, I'll be honest, I'm not doing it every day, but I am doing it thinking a lot of these infections harbor themselves up in your nasal passages, the back of your throat, and your sinuses. So what's what's your uh, recommendation on that? Well, you know, it was... It was uh fascinating to hear researchers tell us what you and I already know, that if we spend some time in the Mediterranean and, and dip our noses in the, in the ocean <laughs> and get that salt water in there, we're going to flush out uh, the sinuses, maybe with that a little bit of garlic in our diet. So uh, there's a number of really credible studies showing that irrigation regularly as a prevention 
with salt water sprays and different uh, formulations of those, or even iodine that you can make yourself forget, was very effective as a preventative agent in high-risk populations like healthcare workers, right. and then also in treatment. So I've been using those modalities at least daily uh, during the COVID era, and more so if I think I'm exposed, and then when I had it, I was very aggressive with it. And then I try to pair that with, you know, oral rinses. Another body of evidence is showing that many of our common mouthwashes, uh, like Crest and uh, Listerine, have ingredients that in the laboratory are killing COVID. So again, I find most people don't appreciate that the sinuses in the back of the throat is where a lot of these viruses kind of hang out. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. If we can, if we can gargle and use our, our sinuses, it can be very good for prevention and treatment. Wow. Yeah, I would agree. And, and uh, you know, this, you know, you look at it and say, even if this reduces your, your, your chance of infection by 10, 15%, or it lessens the, the amount of virus by a percentage, I think for everything in life, and I'm going to get to that a little later, you you want as many things on your side as possible. And I think all of this collectively is, is where we need to think. And it's been my pleasure to have Dr. Sam Pappas, a regular friend and contributor to Your Health First, his website, pappashealth.com. He is hailing in from Vienna, Virginia, Northern Virginia, a very beautiful part of the country. And we have been talking about COVID-19, and we continue to get knowledge from Dr. Pappas. Now, mask, no mask. What's happening in the Pappas house these days? You know, I think, you know, I, I think it's, the, the more research we see, I think the less we see them effective. You know, I think there's a, uh, you know, are they more effective than these irrigation? You know, I don't think so. I think there's some understanding. Listen, if you're going to be with somebody who's exposed uh, and feeling sick, you know, then go ahead and use a mask. Uh, but I've not really seen them across the board be super effective. And I find them just one of the tools. But most people are just relying on masks and maybe vaccines, and they're missing the boat on some other ones. So I kind of put it towards the bottom, uh, not that effective. Most people I talk to in the communities don't know anything about vitamin D or irrigating the sinuses, right, right. but are, are using the masks first and foremost. Right. So in your office, if I come see you, is everybody wearing a mask? Do you wear a mask, or is it is it optional at this point? Because in yeah, we were in, in yeah, Texas. We yeah, in yeah. Texas, where at least in Houston, where sort of mandated by the medical societies to have masks on for right now. So what's happening by you? Well, I have the advantage of being, you know, in solo practice, you know, my own boss. So I don't have those uh, requirements, maybe the larger institutions do. So we were one of the few groups that were open from the beginning. And we had said, listen, the key is if you have any symptoms. If you have any symptoms, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to see you in person. Occasionally, some folks do, and then we'll wear a mask. But if we or they don't have any symptoms, then we're not wearing any masks, you know. Right. And, again, we're constantly talking with them and asking patients questions. But most patients are very, you know, are very sensible. You know, they're not going to go out if they don't feel well. 
I think they have an understanding of what symptoms could be. And we try to reassure them and say, listen, you know, the asymptomatic spread, if you look at the data, is still somewhat low, right? So it's possible, but most likely it's from somebody who's already have some symptoms. So I think we use common sense, and we've had no problems, had no, no infections in the office, no one spread it anywhere. So uh, I tell folks to do the same thing at home, too, right? If you have uh, hanging out with a group and no one has any symptoms, I think that's very reassuring. If someone may be sick, uh, then we should, you know, not connect with them. Yeah, and I, and I still believe that the the messaging around masks and the whole messaging around COVID has been so upside down and confusing that instead of trying to engage the public, for many, it's been a big turnoff. And so case in point, several months ago, the uh, one of part of the medical center down here had a large gala that I was at. There was probably well over a thousand people in a ballroom. People mm-hmm. from the hospital, colleagues of mine, administration, CEOs, and presidents, nobody was wearing a mask. And we were on top of each other on the dance yeah. floor, hugging, kissing, congratulating everybody. Now, I was on call that weekend, Saturday morning, as soon as I step in the hospital, bingo, I am mandated to put a mask on, uh, right. being around the same people that I was with last night yeah. and, and no care. And so there is this, you know, sort of ruse we're going through to say, if you're out in public, a thousand people on top of each other, don't worry about it. Step foot yeah. into an institution and, and I'm going to get in trouble if I don't have a mask. That's the kind of stuff. And again, I'm not saying we should go to a big party and wear masks or not, or I shouldn't wear a mask right. at the hospital. Right. But it's just this sort of double standard that we're seeing. And most people get very confused and they see the confusion and it just sort of turns them off. Yeah, I mean, you know, the... The citizens are smart, right? It's, it's inconsistent, and they're losing, you know, faith in the healthcare system. Unfortunately, so right. I think it's our role to, you know, bring them back and work with them. Yeah, no, you're right. Last, last couple of questions. Um, so here we are. I'm, I'm losing track. We're, we're, we're into the third year, I guess, of all this. Where do we put currently? COVID-19? Is it just another chronic illness? Is it something that we really need to worry about, never let your guard down, or, you know, just sort of live and let live? Well, I think it's a hybrid, right? So I think of of it, even though it's evolved and it's become much more manageable in its current iteration, I think on one hand, it has features of a respiratory infection that can be atypical and really hit you hard and really affect the lungs and the heart much more so than other infections. And then on the other side, I'm seeing people who've gotten COVID and are having, you know, fatigue and brain fog and things maybe like a like a like a Lyme or a mono infection. So sure, I think sure. it, it wears a lot of hats. So I'm constantly looking for it, talking to patients about it, following up on their response. And this is why I think, uh, why people tell me, why are you so aggressive in treating it? Because it really are, there are a lot of really good treatments in addition to what we said about the oral and sinus irrigations. And I think what I learned early on from some of the researchers and I was in, 
in contact with a bunch of them was that early treatment is still very effective. We've treated about a thousand patients ranging from 18 to 80s and none of them have been hospitalized. Uh-huh. And I think some of the principles still are important. You know, for example, using a blood thinner early on really prevents the bad heart and lung problems. So to me, like an aspirin is a very good, important early therapy if you tolerate it and have no contraindication. Many folks will respond or need an inhaled steroid in the lungs or a steroid pill. So those two things I find very, very helpful. And then there are a variety of antivirals or medicines that act like antivirals. And some of the frustration is things are not being showcased. For example, the Luvox, you know, the medicine that's an antidepressant been around for a long time. Some great studies and no one in the healthcare sphere has been uh, pushing that. So it's been kind of hard to find. I think monoclonal antibodies have a role, but frustratingly, they've not been very easy to get. And the criteria are very poor, and they often are not available. Uh, and I have found that other very safe medicines with a long track record, uh, based on research in other countries like azithromycin, a ZPAC, or doxycycline, can be very effective. And then there are some studies that even antihistamines over-the-counter, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Benadryl and Zyrtec, have, have their role so I think there's a lot of tools available, and I tell patients we can get started even through outpatient treatment and over-the-counter treatment um, and not be, you know, afraid and, and do nothing. No, exactly. And, and lastly, all of the data, really from the beginning of COVID, we heard these reports. If you were old, you had a worse course with COVID. If you were obese, worse course with COVID, diabetes, heart disease, liver disease. And so you and I always enjoy talking about chronic disease and the tremendous impact that lifestyle can make. And I would say one frustrating part of this whole COVID story over the past few years is that we really have not picked up on the discussion around all of these chronic diseases, and it is the same cast of of characters, Sam. It's the diabetes, the obesity, the hypertension, people that have immune deficiency disorders, heart disease. For us to look at this and say, look, if I have obesity, if I have early type 2 diabetes, I better aggressively treat this with everything I could do because if I was to get stricken with COVID, I want to have the most minor, innocuous exposure in case. Where do you think we're at with all of that? And have we learned anything about the discussion of chronic disease? Yeah, such a wonderful question. I I think we've still been um, having our head in the sand and not appreciating this, this lesson. I'll tell people, you know, Let's paraphrase Socrates and first ask ourselves, or first know thyself. I often will combine that with recommendations to read Dr. Galati's book on lifestyle and yeah. food and family, right? I mean, to me, I think the empowerment you can tell a patient and saying, listen, uh, this is not your destiny. You know, you have these tendencies, you have these imbalances. Uh, you have to be more aggressive if you have diabetes or insulin resistance or fatty liver, which you know so well. Right. But you can do many, many things. And in fact, some of our most challenging patients were obese young men uh, who 
thought they were fine, and then I would see a 70-year-old who had a great lifestyle and, and had no problems with it. So right. I really, really do think that the basics are the basics, but I believe that a lot of Americans have been untaught by adversity, and they're not really realizing that they have ownership, they have to have an understanding of where they are, you know, where is their biochemistry taking them, where is their blood work, you know, what are their vital signs. A lot of patients get caught up in these gadgets to check out heart rate variability, but really don't have a sense of what their body fat is, what their blood work is showing, you know, how they feel. Uh, so I think it's never too late to understand that if you work on the terrain, if you work on the individual person, sure. you can really improve your outcomes. Absolutely. Never, never lose hope that you can impact your own health and wellness and your ultimate journey in life. All right, Dr. Sam Pappas um, in Vienna, Virginia, doing a great job out there, pappashealth.com. I would say we have to get you on again a little bit sooner, and I am still, still trying, and I think it's going to happen in the fall, making a trip up to the uh, Virginia, D.C. area, and we will uh, share a good Mediterranean dish together. I think we'll flip a coin on whether we go the Greek route or the Italian. So we'll have to think about that. I'm excited. I'm excited. That'd be fantastic to break bread with a good friend and catch up on all things health and family. Uh, So it's just so wonderful talking to you, my friend. And thanks for all the good work you do down there. All right, Sam. Thank you so much. And we'll stay in touch. All right. Take care. All right. Good night now. All right. That was Sam Pappas. Wonderful internal medicine physician, very, very proactive in the Northern Virginia area, really impacting his patients and the community. And as you could tell, he is Greek. And so the Greeks and the Sicilians, the Mediterranean diet, we have a lot in common. All right, Dr. Joe Galati, this is Your Health First. Stay tuned. Final segment coming up for this Sunday night. We'll be right back.